Hello and welcome to episode 29 of Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast, telling you the stories of the LAFC community, match by match, fan by fan, story by story. We are fortunate enough today to be joined here in Shoulder to Shoulder Studios, as always, with my co-host Christian. Thank you, brother. Thank you. And today our special guest is founder of the Expo Originals and co-founder of the 3252. You might know him as the Mighty Fern, but we just know him as Fern. Welcome to the studio, sir. Hey, it's good to be here. It's been a long time coming, so I'm excited. Uh, we are more than happy to have you here. Uh, an LAFC legend in the Richard <laughs> Roscoe sense of the term. So That's since our uh, since our last recording, we have uh, <laughs> we have been through two matches. We saw the Derby performance down south, south, south of Los Angeles, in the woeful city of Carson. Yeah, South County. South County, yeah. County, yeah. Uh, and then our redemption against current cup holders. So how do you feel about our matches against the Carson Galaxy and, of course, Atlanta? I was unable to be there, um, although I did. I was at a concert with family, so it was like 10 of us. I couldn't cancel, even though I was kind of lobbying to do so. But summoning your inner 3252 by going to a Queen concert, so <laughs> at least you are you are living our TIFO. Yeah, I, I literally bought a black and gold Queen t-shirt. I put it on. I was wearing all my gear. I watched maybe probably too much of it. My wife could attest to that, and she probably would say that uh, I couldn't do that again. Um, but uh, I did watch it the next day and uh we all know what happened but i know that the atmosphere and i have i have some you know friends that are rooting for the other team that didn't decided not to change unfortunately for them um but they did say that atmosphere there was the loudest they had ever seen it ever in that history of that stadium and even when they were in pasadena which is I've, kind I've of crazy never, never seen it that back and forth i mean obviously last year when we were there we took over we absolutely dominated but this year, I would say, you know, to me, they, they actually had a little bit of a presence. I, I have to acknowledge that. It wasn't the kind of support I would expect given their tenure in the league, but they had a little more presence. So uh, both Fern and I uh, were fortunate enough to attend. You were, if I'm not mistaken, with the 32-52? Yep. Yeah. From my perspective, yeah, I agree. They, they actually had a pretty decent atmosphere um, in terms of their supporters and their crowd. I did notice, though, after kickoff, there was in the, their north end of the stadium at GA... There were huge gaps of empty seats of where our tickets were supposed to be. And I just think, you know, if if we had those five, 600 people, it would have been a, another supreme takeover of, uh, of that stadium. Um, but from where I was, um, you know, we were allowed to. You were off in that right corner. So up I there. actually had tickets seven rows off the pitch. But when I entered the stadium, was told by security that I was not allowed to go to my seats for my own safety. <laughs> and I was reassigned to the location uh, above their north end supporters up and to the right. So all of the 3252 members who were not fortunate enough to get a wristband to sit in our allocated section uh, were reassigned to this section, which was a significantly cheaper value than the face value of the tickets I had purchased. So I was, I was a little disappointed that I wasn't, you know, 
allowed to sit where I wanted to sit right next to the pitch. But it was nice to to be with 3252 brethren. Although I will say, by the time the game started, we were probably two people for every one ticketed space. So we were packed in there really, really tight, which ended up causing some complications later on in the match, which got really blown out of proportion and caused this whole downward spiral of negativity around the team, which which was really not that factual. And maybe we could touch on that in a second. But I just think, you know, as a supporter, it was nice to be with other supporters, and it was nice to be adjacent to the 3252, despite the fact that they put the largest speakers in the building right in between the two of us and did everything they could to make it so that we could not hear you. Yeah, right. they did that last year, too. Yeah. Um, I very deliberate. I remember walking yeah. up yeah. to the, yeah. our little corner last year, and I was like, oh, my, my ears are bleeding. They, these songs are so loud. So that doesn't surprise me. But, no, we were loud. We were, you know, there was also that other... Uh, group of camoed fans on the other side, on the south side of the stadium, I'm just kind of seeing like a big enough away sections that you know any of these one of these three groups would have completely taken over any other stadium in the country, and we had three of them in, in the same stadium at the same time. Um, that was really impressive. Yeah, no, I think tactically the way they try to break up the supporters was so that you guys weren't as loud and it's still because of it and because of the team and the way that we support is the only reason they they got this loud ever themselves because now they have something to shoot for or try to aspire to and uh, it was a battle like I could hear when the when I watch the replays I can hear us I can hear them every every now and then but I can hear us and I'm like we're not even sitting together which is incredible to me and you know the announcers were commenting on just the atmosphere as well because this has added fuel to their engagement which is unfortunate for them that it took you know this long for them to even think about putting a supporter section together because that's what you know makes the most sense and they can't get along themselves upon among their supporter groups you yeah. know my observation from where we were sitting though is that their three sections or contingencies of support groups, yeah. they weren't cheering together. And, and in fact, you know, where we're sitting, which is directly behind, uh, you know, uh, Angel City Brigade and the Galaxians, they're singing different chants right next to each other. I mean, there's a small section of, yeah. uh, of open seating between the two of them because, mm -hmm. you know, they can't fill that whole end. But, you know, the Galaxians are trying to do their own chant while Brigade's trying to do their own chant. And Riot Squad want, wants nothing to do with either one of them that are on the other side. So that, to me, I mean, it's just bizarre that you have yeah. three completely separate and independent supporting sections that have no desire to unify. Yeah. So I'm, I'm very curious to see how that's going to play out next year when, you know, I know that, you know, it sounds like, or yeah. at least at this point, Riot Squad wants nothing to do with their safe standing section next year mm -hmm. and wants to keep their spot. So there's still going to be, you know, a lot of contention, at least amongst their own supporters. But, yeah. um, you know, I mean, the game itself played out as as we know. Um, yeah. There was some unfortunate stuff that took place in, in my particular section. Uh, we were all standing on our seats and cheering along when they had us so packed into that section. Uh, the seating actually collapsed underneath people and they fell forward. Thankfully, the entire front row had been manned by security. So between us and the front row, the entire front row was security. So when the third row fell down into the second row, the second row was able to fall down into the front row. And thank God there wasn't people there in the front row because people could have fallen straight over the railing. It was incredibly unsafe. Those seats were clearly not capable of handling the amount of people that were in it. 
You know, and I know a lot of people saw the pictures of what happened afterwards and were accusing 3252 members of vandalism, purposefully, yeah. purposefully vandalizing those seats, which was absolutely not the case. You know, those seats collapsed under people who were supporting. That entire section had three different security teams, including sheriff's department that were there with us from the beginning of the game to the end of the game. You know, they permitted people to stand on those benches and cheer the whole game. So there was never like anyone disobeyed security. Right. You know, they even told us during the match that what happened wasn't our fault. And, and yet, you know, the story gets spun afterwards where, you know, LAFC fans within our own community were calling for people like myself to receive a ban. I got that accusation. You know, and so we had to issue statements, and, and hopefully people will understand that what happened there was a direct result of reassigning people to seats that they did not have and putting too many people in that section in an unsafe way. Yeah. And hopefully that changes next year to the point where we won't have these kind of seating issues with people losing their seats or being reassigned to sections in an unsafe manner. But I was alarmed that that took place in the manner in which it did, and I thought the whole thing went down in a very, very bizarre fashion. But yeah. You know what it is what it is nobody got hurt in the long run you know except you know maybe our, our egos a little bit about what played out in the course of the game sure and then there was somebody who got hurt yeah i would say know? the result was unfortunate but the most unfortunate thing was uh, mohammed al munir you know having that his face basically dented broken and now he's out for four to eight weeks potentially so yeah and then the decision after with disco not not even given one game uh, which is another i think unfortunate so far, decision. I'm curious yeah. to hear your thoughts as a person involved in the 3252 and within our supporter community. You know what you thought about the league's decision and how that played out. Obviously, I was <laughs> I was not happy with it at all, and I made that point very clear at the Atlanta game. I just think you know, okay, you know, football is a, a competitive sport; it's a contact sport. Injuries happen, but when a player is reckless, you have to make them accountable. You know, and I want to see the league grow. I want to see the sport grow in this country. And when people see that a big-name player is getting a get-out-of-jail-free card just because he's a big-name player, people take this league less seriously. People start using this league as the butt of a joke. Uh, and I saw lots of comments like that from people saying, you know, how obvious was this Was this elbow to the face, you know? And MLS isn't doing anything, huh? you know, because it's Zlatan, he owns the league, right? So, you know, basically uh, I was very vocal about the decision that MLS Disco made and I was very against that. I just, you know, I, I think it's a little almost immature yeah. to let him go with without at least a one-game suspension, at least some sort of suspension. You sure. Know? No, and then I, what I didn't like, also the next time he spoke in front of the press during the week, he was saying that he felt attacked, like people were coming after him. I'm like, there, there's a reason why they're talking about you because, you know, the tape is saying what happened. Um, and everyone sees it, and it's obvious, and you got away with it, and you're still complaining that you know, people are attacking you and sending you whatever social media messages and things. I'm like, if it hadn't happened, it wouldn't have been, you know, it wouldn't have been sent to you in that way. One thing I will say, and I know not many people are talking about this, and just to be fair, I think the best result at the end of that match would have been if Mohammed actually gets that red card because he did have a, a, a yep. bad tackle himself not too not too long before that. And if that happens and is adequately called, then he's not on the field and he doesn't get hurt. One no, it thing. was a poorly officiated game I agree. both ways. Yeah. Look, the Vela goal was offsides. Yeah, it was. for sure. It, yeah. it shouldn't have counted. Um, yeah. I mean, I appreciate the fact that they didn't call it that way yeah. from a sporting standpoint, but facts are facts. He was offside. Yeah. Um, the challenge El Munir put in studs up to a yeah. guy on the ground was reckless, right. and he should have seen red for that. Absolutely. 
Um, uh, you know, and, and to their credit, Galaxy fans have a right to be frustrated sure. that that didn't happen. But the referee was not up to this game. I don't nope. think he gets to call another big game. It's my it's my take on it. And whoever is in, in disco needs to be reevaluated also because I don't know what they're looking at. Well, I mean, apparently they contacted retired referees or, or referees from from outside the league in order to consult on it. But I don't know. You have players from around the world saying it's a dirty tackle. Retired players saying it's a dirty tackle. You know, obviously we're within the LAFC community, but if you look at, you know, other podcasts that are MLS specific, like Extra Time and stuff like mm-hmm. that, you know, calling him a punk, saying that what he did was a flagrant red. Um, sure. Everyone at least agreeing it, it was an orange card, if anything. Yeah. You know, I believe if he sees yellow in that game, he still gets his suspension for accumulated yeah. yellows. So even for the league to come out and say after the fact, well, you know, we issued a warning, which to me would be a yellow card, that still would have resulted in a suspension. Right. But if they're going to retroactively issue a suspension, it had a minimum of two games associated with it. They couldn't do a one game, which is a silly rule in the first place. If you want to go back and and issue a yellow after the fact and that causes a one-game suspension, I don't understand why that's not part of the rules. Um, It was embarrassing to the league. Um, And uh, I think the 32-52 made the right statement in our following game about what happened. I don't want to dive too much into that, but I think their statements about marketing were accurate and needed to be made. Um, with that particular banner, not a TIFO banner. Um, not a TIFO. <laughs> so, um, you know, I think we'll leave that as it is. Yeah. I mean, all of us were pretty frustrated about that. but The team was able to move on, and the fans got a chance to move on before the, the next game that we'll talk about. Because there was a Dodger night, which was, you know, for L.A. Uh, natives and people that live in the city, it was a great time. Um, the Tuesday following that match, we were able to go uh, to the mini freeway series, only two matches or two games, which I thought was weird. But we were able to play the Angels, which was a close game, although the Dodgers lost. But the best thing was seeing all the LAFC uh, brothers and sisters up in the stands and just catching up and letting out some of the frustration from the previous match was an awesome time. I think it would have been a little better if all the LAFC fans had sat together. And this is something I told Rich, and it's something that I'd really like to see the 3252 do next year, is get all our seats together. Because I know I was with Dean, I knew, um, you know, and I could see uh, uh, we were up in, you know, in right field, basically way up in the blue seats. And I could look across and see Jimmy leading chance on the other side of the stadium. You know, I was a little envious that we couldn't all be together in that respect. And we had a lot of random fans around us. Didn't stop us from chanting. Right. Um, We still had a good time. We were still making it loud up there. But I think that would add to the ambiance next year a little bit. So I'd like to see that happen. I feel like last year we sat together, like LAO was right next to Dean IU in the right field. And Wilton came to the event our sound guy to to that game and we'll talk about his first mls match after this but um it was a great atmosphere and i agree with you we were making a lot of noise and if imagine if we were only together did you get a chance to go to the match front yeah i was there um a lot of fun i do remember seeing like somewhere in like the fourth or fifth inning again on the other side where like d9 and some of the other groups were so you were were in left field then i was in left field so we were on expos you you were on right field And, you know, we were singing songs, and then I looked over and saw you guys singing songs and going crazy. I agree, like, having a unified area would be amazing. Um, I understand from, like, logistics standpoint, yeah. Dodgers, like, where are they going to find that many seats together in oh, one spot? It would be so awesome if we just, like, took over right field. Yeah, but they made the game, seats yeah. available way earlier in the season. People would still buy, yeah. first of all. Because last year, I do, I do feel like everyone sat together. I might be wrong. And then what was cool last year, at least from what I remember, is we had some of the players that were there taking pictures and stuff. They actually came up and, yeah. like, we're high-fiving yeah, and all that. Yeah, Latif yeah. came and sat with us for yeah. a while, too, yeah. last year. I yeah. mean, yeah, it's still a great experience. And yeah. if you haven't been to an LAFC yeah. night at Dodger Stadium, yeah. y- 
you need to go because a Dodger Stadium is a beautiful place to enjoy any evening. Um, that was just that was just a wonderful experience, uh, despite uh, me coming out of it with a fractured rib. But that's a whole other story. Slept you uh, slept on a hot dog? Yeah, is that what you said? Uh, yeah. yeah um, I got no no no. I'm not going to try and sell some elaborate story. <laughs> I have a... the worst worst story ever for for fracturing a bone. I, I slipped on a hot dog wrapper. That's uh, yeah. Yeah. That's uh, going upstairs. Um, two years ago. <laughs> A year before our inaugural season, we had uh, like a unofficial official Dodgers night at uh, at Dodger Stadium. Yes, the Chicolin night is where he got his name. Yes, yeah. yeah. And uh, they put us in the pavilion. And, you know, the groups were a lot smaller back then. It was before, you know, everything went crazy and exploded. But um, there was only, I don't know, maybe 50 or 60 people um, from every single SG together uh, in the pavilion. and, And we were crazy loud. You could hear us from home plate. So that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it was so much fun, you know, having everyone together. So, you know, I can't imagine if they found a way to get six, seven thousand of us together. They do have uh, like pavilion corporate packages where you can get your whole company to go to the pavilion. They have uh, free hot dogs and drinks. Um, I don't know. Maybe we could work something out. Cough, yeah. cough, rich cough. Yeah. yeah. It was a great game. And, and you look, Dodgers lost. But, um, you know, as a person who spent many, many, many years uh, at Dodger Stadium, um, you know, I mean, my first game there was, oh gosh, 29 years ago. But, uh, you know, um, any game in which the last out could have decided the game, you saw a good game. And to get mm-hmm. thrown out at the plate to end the game. And it I happened mean, twice in that game. It yeah. was not just the last inning. But, I mean, that's that's when you got, you know, a play like that at the plate to end the game. You saw a good game. You yeah. got your money's worth out of it for sure. So that was a nice way to sort of wash down the uh, the negative feelings we had coming out of the derby um and then we went into um a marquee matchup against current cup holders and uh for our sound engineer dubs your your first game ever at the bank yeah. so welcome officially initiated into the black and gold you're yeah. here rocking this beautiful beautiful brand new kid here brother <laughs> yeah. so hats was, off to you sir hats it was off a to good you, night sir. for those who wanted a jersey it was 40 percent off which mm. i was like gosh why did i buy this <laughs> Dude, i didn't know i would yeah. have been in there yeah no so yeah, wilton did well and then i i was fortunate enough to invite a group of friends who i'd say 80 percent of them first time ever they've heard me talk about it and everyone came away with the gear and then just blown away by the stadium the atmosphere and the product on the field which um is all i want um to spread in terms of message and then um I feel like I, t- I tell my wife, I'm like, I feel like we're evangelists because every year we've taken, like, the last two years, we've taken at least two or three times a group of, like, 10 or more, which is, you know, exciting to see people's faces when it's their first time at a match and just being surprised and admiring what's going on and they had no clue about. Um, so that was that was a good game. But for a neutral, I would say, six goals first half, ridiculous. Defensively, I was not happy. I was very frustrated um, as a fan of LAFC. Because two minutes in, where I've already given up a goal, I was literally going to the gate to get my buddy, and like goal happens, I miss it, and I'm already like not in a good mood. Well, with the ticketing issues that you know have been discussed at nauseum, so we don't really need to dive into that. But a lot of people missed that first goal, and so hopefully they get that figured out for next go round. But to see a goal given up that early and given up in a manner in which I feel we defended poorly, um, look, if they they fire a Galazzo and and it beats the keeper, and and you can tip your hat to them and move on, that's great, and. You know, ultimately, the shot itself, that top right corner, was a beautiful shot. Yeah. But the buildup that led up to that from the free kick to the header to the shot, I mean, yeah. that was just unacceptable defending, um, you know, very early on. Um, yeah, you know, Walker really- Walker didn't get it away. I mean, he booted it up to the top of the 18, which is terrible. <laughs> um, 
you know, that defensively, I know that he could do much better one. And I think it's it's happened to us a few times this year where I know that the mantra of the team is to try to create the next play, even if it's a defensive play, to, to have an outlet. And I don't know if that's what he kind of had in mind. Maybe he saw someone kind of making a run down the wing that he was trying to get to, but he totally mishit that. So sometimes you just got to go for safety. That's how I feel. Yeah, well, I agree. I, you know, I didn't get a great view of that first goal, uh, just being in the stands. Sometimes you, you, know, sure. you got a head in front oh, of I had to rewatch the match, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, but, you know, funny, comparing it to last year, we, we conceded a goal in the first 90 seconds this game. And last year, if we conceded a goal at all, even if we were up by three or four, I would get depressed. Like, oh, and nervous. Yeah, yeah. Nervous, yeah. depressed, like crazy. We conceded a goal 90 seconds in Friday, and I was like, mm, Bob's got it covered, you know. Maybe we might draw this game. Maybe it's going to be a little closer than we hope. But, I, you know, just the way the team responded... Yeah, I wasn't expecting four goals in like the first 20 half, minutes, to yeah. be honest. Yeah. I think anyone um, was expecting four goals yeah, in 20 no. minutes. Yeah. Um, I was just, you know, it's it's great to see how the team has uh, developed in the last eight, nine months into the team they are now. And, yeah, uh, no, and it was fun. to your point, like, not only did they give up one at the beginning of the, the game, right before half, they let them back into the game at 4-2, yeah. right? And then I'm like, man, I'm nervous again because, you know, they're going to feel like they have momentum going into the halftime speech, going to come out, they get another one, they'll get back in it, and that's what ended up happening in an own goal. And I'm like, oh, my God, they might tie. I never I never felt like we would lose, but I'm like, I don't want to give up these points. But in the end, they could have anyone could have won that match. Yeah. But we've, we'd made enough defensive plays. We couldn't close out the game because they made some to keep it mm-hmm. close themselves. But... Like I said, as a neutral, for some of the first-time uh, invitees that I had, I feel like it was one of the more entertaining games of the weekend at the very minimum. Yeah, and hopefully the boys take away some tactical things from it where they can learn, you know, uh, Sigura's feet positioning on the own goal, mm-hmm. the fact that he's going at that with his heel and not his toe. Right. I mean, you know, some of that, you know, just didn't seem fundamentally sound for me. You know, I mean, the kind of the second goal was probably the most frustrating of all of them because I felt that was, you know, that was one in which we just simply failed, mm-hmm. you know, our defensive obligations there. You're leaving the, f- the the reigning golden boot leader empty in the box, right? Nobody within ten feet of him, you know, right? Yeah, uh, I mean, you know, it, it it. But ultimately, in the end, we scored a, a massive onslaught of goals in order to take him down, and and Walker came so close to getting one himself yeah. there at the end. I mean, that was going in, and an amazing play by the keeper keeps it out. So you know, we almost coasted through with five goals, and then we're not even talking about how close it got there at the end, where some of us were biting our nails waiting for that whistle. But I will say when when Lee subbed in uh, those five minutes after he subbed in, I think he changed the game a lot. He I was the feeling game. a little bit more comfortable. We were attacking a lot more. We had a little bit more possession. Yeah. Um, so he got man of the match from 32-52 after the game. Yeah. Um, and Vince agreed. Vince LaRosa. Yeah. Uh, and I think it was, it's the right call because he calmed the storm and then you had an additional outlet to, to kind of settle and then look up and look for the right next pass. Uh, and not only I think I think he's hungry to to try to get that starting spot back because when he came in there he came with you know this desire and then he he was you know putting a lot of the offense initiation on his back and letting Atuesta and K be a little more defensive and then he also had Latif kind of giving him a little bit of an outlet on the right which Beta wasn't necessarily doing. Do you think the own goal from Sikura and the fact that the game got that close? made Wynn's role even more important? Because I feel like prior to that, and even even a little bit after that, to me, Dio was man of the match with, I mean, that shot he had, you know, to, to blow it by the keeper to his right on the short side there. And then, you know, I thought his ability 
to sort of, you know, create a little garbage time at the end and, you know, get fired up and kind of eat some clock up there at the end with some great time management skill that he showed later on as well, too. So I was kind of pushing for Dio personally, nothing against Win. I mean, I feel his contribution was was amazing as well, too. But I, without that own goal and without it being a one goal game, you know, almost Win's performance might have gotten lost. So I mean, Dio, he probably doesn't come in. I would say. Go yeah, ahead. no, actually, so Dio got voted the man of the match by the 32-52 by a landslide. Apparently, he left the pitch immediately as the whistle blew because he was very angry that someone had spit on him. He thought an Atlanta player had spit on him. So he ran into the locker room, and he was just very angry. He didn't want to come back out onto the pitch. So at that point, you know, uh, Lee got selected. And I think, you know, Lee deserved it as well. Sure. But, um, you know, definitely everyone everyone saw what Dio did. And he had a great match. You know, he's scoring goals. That's what you need your striker to do. I will I will say this. Since he got the start at the Galaxy game um, and this game, I feel like he's finally match fit, one. I feel like he has that desire because he's taking advantage of the opportunity because he's been having only that. And I've been saying this. He's a, it was a 60-30 split because I think he was a closer. He's more efficient. He's stronger. And I think he has better vision, too. But in the end, if he's going to be 90 minutes fit, he's a starter. Like if he plays, he puts another performance like that uh, and he strings them together for the rest of the season, I don't see Christian Ramirez taking that spot back because he's better, he can be fast, and he's stronger, and I think he's more aware, and he also has a better finishing touch. So now it's it's going to be a matter of him losing that or getting injured or you know maybe losing some fitness. But the last two games have been, I think, what we expected of him and what he was doing at towards the end of the last season. So that sort of transitions us nicely into a discussion about the roster because we see the mutual parting of ways with Schaff Brewer uh, and our best wishes to him. I got to meet him at uh, the 99ers night at the bank uh, as he came to the after party with us up in the fields. Super, super nice guy. Nothing but great things to say about his character and, and what he gave us, um, you know, as far as what he put in on the pitch. But he's on his way out, potentially, or at least according to the U.S. Embassy in Uruguay, <laughs> we have a player coming in, which was one of the more bizarre tweets that I've seen in all my years of following the beautiful game. But it does appear as though once the details get ironed out that we are going to have a record transferred fee of $11.5 million for, from you know what I've seen, a pretty interesting young playmaker coming in, 19-year-old, lots of goals for his international club, maybe not so many goals, but that really didn't look like his role for, for his club there in Penarol. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sort of curious, boys, your thoughts on our incoming player. Um, excited. Um, he's coming from the same club that Diego Rossi came yeah. from. You know, we know Diego Rossi has been uh, a success here in MLS. Yeah. Um, he's an all star. Yeah. Uh, he is an all star. You know, games tomorrow. That should be a good one. Uh, but, uh, you know, so I expect uh, another success. His transfer fee is three and a half or four times what Diego Rossi's transfer right. fee is. So uh, clearly, John and uh, Bob see something very special in the kid. And anytime I'm not sure about a transfer or, you know, a decision that the club is make, I think to myself, you know, John's got it covered. Bob has it covered. Um, from the video I've seen of him, he seems like a great player. Yeah. So I'm no, excited. I think, he's, I think the decision to sign him is a good one. I th- he's versatile. He could play the left wing or, or central striker at 19. I know that it may seem like a lot of money to spend on him, but I know that um, Europe has been looking at him. I've heard that Madrid, Atleti, and like Barca 
have been looking at them. So I think the only reason there's such a big fee is because there's some demand and LAFC are maybe looking to invest earlier than others. Maybe the other Europe wanted to give him another year and see how he did at Peñarol. But getting him now, and I think if we can, if he's good and we saw him in a couple of years and we can get, you know, two, three times our money because he's playing that well. And there's also rumors that Rossi is being looked at by the Premier League and Spain. So he might, yeah, and he might leave. So if he leaves and we have a replacement uh, left wing or right wing, or if, you know, if he breaks into the team, he could be giving a uh, deal competition. Uh, he's much younger too. So we'll see what happens. I like I, to, to your point, I don't, I don't doubt John Thornton. He's missed one, but he's also built a team in two years that's competing for uh, the MLS Cup. So I, I'll take those records. odds. I'll when take those signed odds. Horta, everyone thought that was an amazing signing. Right, though. I agree. Everyone thought yeah. that was going to pan out. Um, you know, and whether Brian Rodriguez pans out or not, obviously it's it's early to say. We haven't even you know put pen to paper as far as we know yet to see his arrival. So it might be even even premature at this point to to speculate yeah. on that. But um, eleven and a half million yeah. dollars is a sizable fee. You have to feel that you know Thornton is not going to throw that kind of money around unless right. he feels we have a future star in the making here. Right, or at least he feels that at the very minimum we can get our money back. You know, well, you know you're not going to make an investment when you have. Uh, it's that risky. I think he could, he feels like he could at the very minimum get those eleven million, maybe lose a mil. I know it's a lot of money, but still, like you have to make those kinds of decisions as a GM. So obviously, with with the tragic El Munir injury and all all the optics behind that, um, there's no one behind Harvey right now. Um, so that's I a feel scary like, part. I feel like we have to at least sign somebody to back up on the flanks there. So I don't feel like roster machinations are at an end, and I'm curious to to hear y'all's thoughts on that. We were linked to an Israeli left back about a month ago, I think. Um, you know, yeah, I think uh, I love Harvey. He's played his, his mind out this season. Um, but he is getting a little bit older. You know, you can tell sometimes. right? Yeah, yeah, something like that. It's a long 36. season, too, so anyone's You can tell legs. sometimes yeah. he, he might be a little bit gassed toward the end of games. You know, it's, there's still a lot of games to go. Um, we're just barely past the halfway point. You know, I do think they're going to have to spend a little bit and um, maybe even alone, you know. Yeah. Because uh, uh, um, going to be back. Idan Eden, forgive me, uh, I'm I-D-A-N, I'm not sure the pronunciation on that, Cohen, um, who was allegedly joining us um, as a right back, as a dual U.S.-Israeli citizen who was coming to us um, from Tel Aviv. Um, and so that was rumored, yeah, um, beginning of June-ish uh, mm-hmm. in, in that time period. So perhaps that, that deal comes back on the table there. Um, who knows? Maybe uh, Beta can play left back and we'll we'll put Tristan at right back. Yeah. I don't know. I, I've never seen Beta at left back. But uh, desperate times call for desperate measures yeah. if uh, if something happens to Harvey. Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, we would never wish ill on Harvey, and I think he's our starter. But yeah. there does seem to me to be a need to fill that role, you know. And and who knows if if El Munir, you know, after two months of recovery, is going to be ready to to step right back on the pitch. No. You know, I mean, aside he's, from he's the take another month, I feel. Yeah, I mean, it's it's going to take him a while to to get into the system. But even if we went outside the system right now and 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 brought somebody up. Um, you know, it's going to take them a while to adapt to, to Bob's system as well, too. So, I mean, maybe that's a Latif. Maybe that's who knows. Mm-hmm. It'll be an interesting second half of the season for sure. There's a lot of expectations on the team. It's performing well, especially offensively. And right now, some of the questions are defensively due to injuries. So I can't wait to see uh, our 
management and our general manager manage this so that we can, at the end of the season, start trending in the right direction so that we can finish the job. Well, speaking of second halves and things that are interesting, what a perfect way to transition into our guest here. So, Firm, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you came to uh, be involved in supporter culture and what soccer was like in your life as you grew up? So my my family's from Argentina, uh, obviously a soccer-obsessed country. But my dad was never a huge soccer guy. You know, obviously everyone in Argentina watches and follows soccer. But he grew up playing rugby, grew up playing golf, whatever it was. Um, moved to this country 25 years to years ago and really started watching a lot of American sports, actually. So uh, growing up, I also would watch NFL, NBA. I played Little League Baseball. Um, I played golf with him sometimes. Uh, and there wasn't a whole lot of soccer in the house, actually. You know, sometimes we'd watch... A, an international competition, um, something like that. Uh, he did have. Uh, he did give me a Boca Juniors hat when I was like six, so I did know that my team growing up was Boca Juniors. I was going to ask you that question because yeah. usually it's one of the two, or if not, there's like a couple seconds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Boca yeah. Juniors was yeah. was my was my team, but you know we didn't really watch a lot of soccer growing up. So, but we did always, of course, watch the international competitions, especially the World Cups. So I remember um, growing up, very proud American. My dad, very proud American, instilled that in me. I'm very happy to live in this country, and so we would always root a ton for the U.S. And uh, growing up, the U.S. national team, the men's national team, uh, never was that great of a national team. But there was always that like little chip on their shoulder. They would perform well against a huge team that we were supposed to lose against, and you'd be super proud. And then you know, I remember we lost to we beat Spain, and they they were like the greatest national team of all time in that era and then we made it to the the confederations cup final and we we lost to brazil in the second half three two yep and being devastated as a kid oh two zero i have i remember that two zero at the half i was so excited and then you know we lost it but um so you gotta bring that up i'm sorry (laughs) (laughs) but watching a lot of uh international football and i said uh i said one of the world cups you know like i want to help grow this i want to help you know do my part and and grow the sport and and help the national team and um, so I started paying attention more to l- local football, and um, eventually uh, LAFC came along. They, they got announced as an expansion team. I kind of just kind of looked at it from a distance for a little while. You know, what was the team all about? What was their identity? What were they going to represent? They kept on sending out messages about city, community, kind of like what an, an old school football club is all about. You know, you can't move Liverpool FC away from Liverpool. That, and I wanted to help build something that was going to be similar to what they have in Europe here in LA. A football club that is going to represent the community and, and the city's going to get behind it and the club can get behind the city. Um, so that that excited me and I, I decided to jump on board. So I was going to say no, so before you know, you started hearing about LAFC, how did you become aware of such clubs abroad and the, that representation of the city? And, and what spoke to you in the way that LAFC was saying these things that felt real? That you know, because there's there's another team here, and there's other teams in other parts of the country. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, my first real uh, dive into club football um, was Boca Juniors um, in Argentina, and you know, there's no atmosphere like that here in the states. You know, I think LAFC. That that's my dream for LAFC to one day be um, La like Bombonera. La Bombonera mm-hmm. and have. 50,000 fans in the stadium all participating in Jump for LA Football Club and crazy things. Um, but I knew that the the fan culture um, around the clubs in South America and then, you know, learning about clubs in Europe and around the world, the fan culture was completely unlike what you have here in the States. Here in the States, it's very 
much about entertainment. It's about you go to a baseball game to eat a hot dog, hang out with your friend, chat. Hopefully the Dodgers win. You know, you're happy if the Dodgers lose. Oh, no, the Dodgers, I'll go to another Dodger game next week, whatever it is. You know, football is like um, the fans are are giving their all for the team and and the team is fighting for the fans and, and, and for that community. And it affects you. Like the, 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 the result affects you. Yeah. So how did that transition from you being aware of LAFC to involved in LAFC? So um, there's a Boca Juniors fan page um, called, I think it's called Planeta uh, Boca Juniors. And it's just a fan-run community where there's like 2 million people, 2 million fans that, that follow that and chat and discuss things. So after I decided that, hey, I, I love the messaging around LAFC. I love what they're trying to do. Let me have my part in it. Let me try and build this community with them and build the the dream of, of this city, this football club that represents a city. So I decided to try and emulate something like, like Planeta Boca Juniors, and I just created an online community where fans could discuss news, um, you know, breaking information, rumors of player signings, whatever it is. Um, and I got very lucky. Two weeks after I created that online page, um, the the first concept drawings of Bank of California Stadium got released. And, you know, so I promoted the page. I said, hey, guys, come chat here if you want to talk about the stadium, whatnot. And we went from, like, 15 followers to 200 followers in, in like, a day. And so after that, you know, basic community stuff, uh, starting discussions with people, whatnot, I started getting DMs from people like, hey, is, is this a supporters group? Because, you know, right now, the, the two, at the time, the only two supporter groups that existed were Black Army and Union Ultras, who are now District 9 Ultras. And people were saying, hey, you know, those guys are cool, but I'm looking for like a brand new SG for LAFC. I want something from the ground up built for LAFC. Is this, is this that? And I kind of gave it some thought, and I'm like, you know, how cool would it be if I could put that passion, drive, and vision I have of what LAFC could be directly into a supporters group? And, you know, the songs, the chants, whatever it is, that culture. Um, and if, by the way, if we have a great relationship with D9U and Black Army. You of course. Know, no, there's a uh, lot of flavors to, to the same colors. Yeah. yeah. people. Yeah, yeah. There was just an opportunity there to start yeah. this brand new thing for LAFC from the ground up. And I said, uh, you know, it's not a bad idea. I'm going to do it. And uh, here we are today. It's, it's grown like crazy. I think a lot of people outside the 3252 view each independent supporters group as having a more contentious relationship with the other supporters groups than there really is. No. Um, yeah. I, I think, you know, if, if there are two people within a supporters group or different supporters groups, and, and they have an issue between the two of them, then people think, oh, that must extend to the rest of the supporters groups. And, you know, in my experience of two seasons with LAFC, that has absolutely not been the case. I've never seen two supporters groups be completely contentious with one another. There has always been a sense of unity there. You know, we might come from different parts of the greater Los Angeles area. We might approach supporter culture from different angles. But I've never seen the relationship to be contentious. The relationship has always been very fraternal. No. Yeah. It's a mosaic. I mean, the, and the I say the section draws inspirations from South America, Europe, Central America, and the U.S., right? So, and everyone adds their own flavor to it. But in the end, like, the, the, the sound and the songs come from everyone mm -hmm. right 
and you're wearing the same color. So that's that's the way I see it. And everyone, like you said, they want to build something. The team is new. They want to build something from the ground up. There's an opportunity there. Why not uh, have input? And I can totally understand why there's multiple support groups because then you can do that. You can be there from the ground up. And nothing nothing feels better than when, you know, five, ten years later, you can say, hey, you know, I was there when it started and we had an idea. And now look at all the friends that I've made and we all support the same team with the same ideas. Well, look at what we were just yeah. talking about a few minutes ago with the since 96ers, yeah. right? And the fact that they can't even get along with since 99ers. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I, I mean, the fact that there are three supporters groups, you know, major supporters groups, you know, don't want to sit together, don't want to cheer together, you know. And yeah. so so maybe a lot of people had this concept that that's how that's yeah. going to play out, um, you know, with the team that was, you know, in the heart of Los Angeles. And, and I'm glad that, you know, we've been able to. Well, I mean, maybe we I mean, maybe we should talk about yeah. you. I mean, not only um, I was uh, going to ask you. So it started from this Facebook group. Right. And then um, others were asking you, can we build something else together? And you you kind of started laying a foundation or maybe shooting the ideas amongst those people in your DM, like DMs. So like what was the next step? So how did how did you um, start building this idea and then also um, become involved with the other two existing groups to start forming um, the initiation of multiple support groups? And then ultimately some of the things that we see in the North End. Yeah, so I had a, a set of like core principles that I wanted the supporter group to have. Um, one of them was like a democratic base where every member could feel like they had a voice in the group and there wouldn't be any major decisions made without a group discussion. Um, so actually, for the first nine months, the Expo Originals weren't called the Expo Originals. They were just, we I called it uh, LAFC Supporters Group. One, because people would type in LAFC Supporters Group and find us. And two, because I wanted the name to come from brainstorming from members saying, hey, I have this idea, and no, I have this idea, I have this idea, and, and make it a discussion, you know. So I literally heard hundreds of, of different name ideas, and um, someone one day said Expo Originals. I said, wow, that sounds, that sounds pretty good. There's like few different meanings behind it you know right um and so we we put it, that up to a final vote of like four final names and uh the expo originals won and all in what that were time, some of the other names that made it to the final oh, ballot, dude, there were some sharing there were some bad names there were some good names i think you know just over time you get used to certain names and they sound good and the other names it's like uh this probably wouldn't have worked out so well so i, I believe the four finalists were expo originals um, 110 Republic, because, you know, the 110 Freeway. Mm -hmm. um, Sunset Society, which we've added Sunset to our, our logo. And right. I think the last one was like North End Guardians or something like that, something cheesy like that. So I'm glad, you know, th there's potential in some of those names, but I'm glad that uh, Expo Originals ended up winning out. Um, and then uh, in those nine months when we were growing the group, um, you know, we would attend events and, you know, talk to other group leaders. Uh, new groups would pop up and, you know, some of the older guys would have to address those new guys and see what they're all about. Um, and, and eventually there was just this, you know, there was some competition. Uh, you know, I think to a certain degree competition is good because you, you want to grow your group. And if you're growing your group, LAFC is growing, you know. So there was some competition, but there underneath it all, there was this idea, this this dream that it would be all one section where we're all singing the same song. Um, it, we all had the same dream, pretty much. So there was that friendly competition, um, but there was that friendly competition with a unified mindset. Um, so eventually we just said, uh, 
you know, we, we had been chatting amongst ourselves, chatting with the club um, and the supporter group leaders at the time. I think there was, uh, I think at the first meeting there were five or six supporter groups. Um, we pretty much just said, uh, let's get together for a dinner. Um, uh, Joe, at the last interview, forgot the name of the restaurant. I think I forgot it too, but it was in Century City. Mm-hmm. Um, we found a little back room. And uh, we just kind of started dishing out ideas and just brainstorming stuff and, and started putting started putting in place what would become the 3252. Yeah, six original supporters groups. That's why there are six stripes underneath the 3252 in the logo. Mm-hmm. Um, so who else helped you form the Expo Originals and what does uh, the core founders look like? So for the first few months, it was pretty much just me. Um, there were some people that would be a little bit more active in, in the chats that we had and um, would put some ideas forward. But for those first few months were kind of tough, actually. I remember I would go to an event and 10 guys would say, hey, I'll be there at that event and I'll see you there. And then I would show up and like one guy would show up, you know, and I'd be like, oh, man, this sucks, you know. Um, over time, you would see people pop up that, you know, would put in time and effort and ended up really dedicating themselves to the group. Um, I remember early on, Monty, I met him at the, actually four years ago now, the Women's World Cup final watch party in Pasadena. Um, I just, uh, he introduced himself to me. And um, from there, you know, he's, he's been my, my guy, my right-hand man um, in, in, in expos. Um, yeah, just little by little, there there have been these really important people in the group now that you would recognize that would just trickle in, and and they had something different about them that they really wanted to dedicate themselves to this idea that we had of of building this group that was ultra inclusive, very diverse, um, but still wouldn't sacrifice any of the passion and and the the addiction to that atmosphere and that supporter culture that a lot of the less inclusive groups around the world might have, you know. Um, Benny, I met at uh, just like a meet and greet. He was kind of standing in the corner. Um, yeah, he looked a little shy, so I went up and I said hello to him, and, and very quickly he started meeting people, and he's now the most outgoing, crazy capo in the world, you know. I was going to say shy is not a term <laughs> I would use to describe him, but yeah. yeah. And there's a story like that with, with all of the the expo kind of now they've, I guess, become senior members um, that, you know, you just it starts off with a handshake. Hey, I'm Fernando. Hey, I'm blah, 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 you know, uh, a little shy, a little timid. And eventually we are where we are today, where we have a lot of very important people in the 3252 creating um, history, making great things, songs, whatever it is. Um, so, yeah. And so you got to go on the Dortmund trip as yeah. one of the founding 3252 members. Can you describe that experience for us? That was a, I think that was a very pivotal trip in the, in the history of LAFC and the 3252. Um, you had a group of like 15 or 20 guys with different ideas of what supporter culture should be. And we left that trip with kind of one idea, one vision of how to build how to execute what we were talking about with the 3252. So you have like guys like Sal, who's more English Premier League kind of style, and you have guys like Ray that are more South American, banda style, whatever it is. Um, and we kind of realized that, hey, there's ways that we can make this work together um, in the stands. Um, I, I think the biggest thing we learned on that trip was just the amount of influence that the supporters should have in the football club. 
um, in Germany and Bundesliga, the supporters almost run the clubs. I mean, you know, they, the supporters are, are the heartbeat of the team, and, and that's meant very literally. If the supporters don't show up to the to the game, um, that that team becomes irrelevant, you know. Um, so we we had this new mindset of, hey, we have to step up. Um, we have to make sure that our voice is heard, um, and, and we have to make sure that the 32-52 is going to be the heartbeat of this team. And so, you know, a lot of guys, uh, they they learned from that trip, myself included. I learned a ton from that trip, and um, I, I think it was a very important step in, in creating the 32-52 that we know today. Is that your first time to Europe or Germany? No, when I was in high school, I went on one of those uh, school trips where you spent like a, a, a day in each city. Um, but that was like the first time really as, as an adult in, in Germany. So, you know, we, we also would go out at night and uh, we had a lot of fun. Well, yeah, 18's drinking age in Germany. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, <laughs> you, know, you go rage it up there. Yeah. So it was, it was the main point or the main reason you guys were able to maybe focus on the, the ultimate goal that you guys came out with because you were able to actually see it you know, in fruition in the stands and also and in speaking to their leadership and those kinds of things? Or is that kind of what, you know, made uh, a a, um, a consensus happen a little more quickly than it would have otherwise? I think the, the big thing that we all saw and took away when we came back home was just the influence that the supporters had. You know, you don't see anything like that here in the States where, um, the club is meeting with the fans regularly and listening to what the fans have to say and putting those words into action, not just marketing spiel, not just, uh, you know, yeah, yeah, sure, we'll we'll try and figure it out. Uh, it didn't work out in the end. It's like real, deci- real, you know, we need to make our voices heard. We have this vision. Um, other guys in the club that were working for the club, um, Rich and Pat, they had this vision too. Um, but the supporters, you know, you have to keep them constantly in the focal point. So how would you describe your role currently within the 3252 and how are things like that manifesting themselves to this day? How is the 3252 affecting LAFC now? So every month, sometimes twice a month, we, we have meetings um, between the 3252 council and, and most of the time uh, there's a presence from the club as well. Um, so any pretty much any issue we have, we bring it forward to to guys like Pat and Rich um, at LAFC, and I don't remember the last time they've said we're not gonna be able to handle this. I don't think they've ever said, you know, this is not something we're gonna look into. This is not something we're gonna address. Um, before even the 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 stadium was built, you know, meetings with the architects. Um, a lot of those things you see in the in the supporters bar and around the stadium were things that someone put up on a sharpie uh, on the board. You know, um, the the game day presentation, ecstasy of gold, um, was something that we fought for in a meeting. Um, I think Monty, um, Mont, his club in Australia, Western Sydney Wanderers, used ecstasy of gold for one of their their home games when the players were walking out. He put forth like, hey, you know, ecstasy of gold, black and gold. Look at this. Listen to this tune. This is such a great pregame song um and there was a meeting like maybe a couple months before the home opener of what do you guys want to see when you walk into the stadium what do you guys want to hear when at halftime after the game blah 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 blah. so you know we we put together a little presentation and said hey listen to this so i think we we put um the youtube the sound from the youtube video of of the wanderers 
um, singing along to Ecstasy of Gold, and we put it um, behind images of, of LAFC supporters at events and just, you know, trying to sell to sell that vision. Um, so there's just like a lot of those little details, um, game day and otherwise, that someone from the 3252, a leader or, or just someone in the group that had an idea and put that idea forward, ended up being implemented into the game day experience into LAFC into the club I would um, like more people to sing along with that when it happens I feel like yeah. there's some opportunity there within the 3252 to get behind um you know good and the bad and the ugly such a great movie um but yeah <laughs> such a great song too um you know and hey cheese on my stand under money it's great idea glad you brought that to the game that's <laughs> good to see um so yeah I mean I think we'd like to, to well see done. more things like that happen well done cheese <laughs> So uh, in addition to being a founder of Expo Originals, in addition to being one of the co-founders of the 3252, uh, as if that wasn't enough, you've taken on a new undertaking to co-found yet another supporters group, um, touching back into your love of the national team for the United States. So can you take us through the process of forming that supporters group and what that was like and your involvement within Bar 76? Yeah, so... Um... There was pretty much just a, an idea between a few of us that it all happened at the same time. It, was, it wasn't it was just one guy that said, hey, let's start this new supporters group for the U.S. Um, there were a few of us that were fed up with the current status quo of, of the supporter culture around the U.S. national team and, and how the U.S. Soccer Federation um, handles fan culture. And so we, we heard, uh, well, actually last year, um, <laughs> myself uh, and a few others, we we got removed from American Atlas. Actually, we didn't get removed. They blocked me on Twitter because I disagreed with the fact that they banned members for popping smoke at a stadium that allowed smoke. So I thought it was very weird that a supporters group is banning their own members for creating an atmosphere when the professional people at that stadium don't have a problem with creating that atmosphere. So I said, you know, if they're going to have a problem with me being vocal about that, uh, let me go do my own thing. And it ended up, uh, I brought it up to some people in expos and there was a few people that were kind of fed up with um, not having that kind of old school supporter culture that we have come to enjoy at LAFC. So we tried to, we reached out to another supporters group called Sammers. They're mostly based on the East Coast. They couldn't really do a lot for us just because I think we were the only guys on the West Coast that wanted to start a chapter with them. Um, And so that kind of fell off. But a few months later, we got news that the women's national team was going to come and play at the bank in, in early 2019. And uh, Joe, who you had on last week, um, Joe pretty much put out, hey, time to start Barra 76. And I was like, dude, that's that's a great name for the group. You know, that's like um, he didn't he didn't even know that a few expos had tried to start an, uh, a U.S. national team supporters group beforehand. And it just ended up that there was a bunch of people that that. Uh, like that idea of trying to build something from the ground up a little bit more old old school um, atmosphere sing for 90 get into the stadium early leave late um, you know we all we all had this similar vision of, of what we wanted to build for the national team so we all got together and said hey let's uh, let's start putting this into motion um, we decided to keep the name I, I fought to keep the name there was some disagreement with how Spanish the name sounded, Barra Sedentaises, it's obviously a South American thing. Yeah. Um, but uh, my, my argument was, hey, you know, the U.S. national team doesn't really have great Latino representation in terms of the fans. Um, yeah, there's a lot of people who are Latino background here in the States 
born here in the States, but root for, for their parents' country and root for their roots, which is completely fine. But why isn't that more of these guys are taking the U.S. national team seriously? And I think it's because there's not a lot that the U.S. national team culture around the team speaks to Latino communities, you know? So we decided to make a little bit more of a Latino push and and call the group Bada 76 and started uh, sending out all our social media posts, both in English and in Spanish. And um, it, it's gone super well so far. We we had some uh, watch parties during the uh, Women's World Cup and the Gold Cup. Um, pretty solid turnout. And uh, now we have the game at the Rose Bowl on Saturday. And uh, that also I expect a good turnout. We, we've gotten in contact with USSF. And um, so hopefully that's going to continue to grow and, and be a, a big presence in, in American soccer. So if someone would like to come out this Saturday and support the U.S. women's national team in their victory lap, do you guys have tickets available? Is there a way people could get tickets? Is there a chance to come out and maybe tailgate with you guys? What are you guys going to be doing and where is it going to happen? Yeah, we have the whole shebang. So if, if you look us up on social right now, uh, all our socials should be at B76USA. We're trying to get at bar 76, but it's going a little bit slow. But uh, at B76USA, right now we have posts up with the, the ticket link. Um, to the game in the supporter section. So we're going to be alongside uh, all the other USA supporters. And, uh, you know, we have to build a good relationship and make sure that the atmosphere is on point, and which is what, what is important. And it also has the code there, code BARA76. Um, and, yeah, our plan is to tailgate. We're going to get there early. Um, I know that there's an LAFC game that day. So um, we're going to try and have the LAFC game there. But at the same time, we have to be impartial, you know, because we're trying to build a national movement here. This is something that we want to see in, on the East Coast, in the Midwest, on the West Coast, in the South, everywhere. We want to see this kind of active culture first supportive group. Yeah. So grow. fans of any MLS team, yeah. non-MLS fans would all be welcome as long as you're a fan of Los Estados Unidos. Is yeah. that yeah. correct? Yeah, yeah. So yeah just absolutely. bring your red, white, and blue jersey and bring your hat of choice. Yeah. So I would we, we're doing a bit of like an unofficial watch party of the LAFC game. We're going to have, uh, have someone there with a TV and, and the game on. Um, but, you know, of course, we encourage everyone to come out and, and participate. And, and uh, we'll have more information on that uh, pregame meetup um, again on our social. So make, make sure to follow us. Yeah, and if they're interested in talking to some of the expos, do you want to give your social and the and the supporter group social? Yeah, so Expo Originals, uh, we're at Expo Originals across the board. Um, if you want to message me directly um, on Instagram, I'm at Fern Varela, uh, V-A-R-E-L-A is my last name, and on Twitter, I'm at the Mighty Fern. Um, so you can reach out to us. Uh, everyone in Expos is, is very welcoming, you know. So uh, we want to show you the ropes and we want you to feel comfortable with us. I know sometimes it's very intimidating and very tough to um, to join a new supporters group and have 60, 70, or even hundreds of people at times around you that you don't know. Um, everyone who's there now has been there at one point or another. Um, so, you know, come talk to me. Come talk to any of the, the group leaders, Monty, Myra, um, Sergio Vasquez, whoever. Um, or just come up and talk to a random person with an expo scarf. Um, and, and, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll introduce you to people and get you eating and drinking water or beer, whatever you want. And what we uh, say on the pod is, you know, just find your flavor. There's so many people there. Go to the Christmas tree lane and yeah. you'll, you'll, you'll find your vibe. So if someone was not going to the U.S. Women's National Team game and they wanted to join Expo Originals for a watch party this weekend, where's the LAFC event going to be? So 95% of the time we're at Arts District Brewery. If you're looking for a spot to watch the game, you could find us there. Um, 
this Saturday, we're going to be with TSG at uh, Koreatown Pizza Company, I believe is the name of the company. Shout out, Tigers. Come on the show. <laughs> yeah, so you can uh, go on Expo Originals, any any of our socials, and we'll have the web the uh, the address on there. Um, again, at Expo Originals, and you'll you'll always be updated with, with our events and our watch parties and whatever we do. Cool. So we know where to find you if we are out about in the community and someone is interested in joining an Expo Originals watch party. Or if you want to come out and support the ladies in their victory lap in Pasadena, maybe uh, you'll catch the game with Lucky Boys at Baldwin's and then head on over if you don't want to tailgate with Barra 76. So there's options out there for the LAFC fan and the national team fan. Sounds like a great Saturday regardless what your choice is. That's what I'm going to be doing. Uh, Uh, I will be there um, right there with Barra 76, uh, hopefully cheering in the stands and and popping smoke and getting crazy and having fun with them just like uh, last time we had uh, the ladies at the bank, which was a, a pretty amazing night um, for those of us after the match that got to go and meet, you know, all the uh, the 99ers, which was like an, an out-of-this-world experience. That <laughs> was really, really cool after the fact at yeah. Fields last time. So doubt we're going to get the same experience this time, but hopefully it's going to be a great match and a chance to thank them for repping as well. Yeah. yeah so, you know, Fern – You've you've had the opportunity and also have taken the opportunity to see this new club and uh, put your kind of input into what supporter culture is in the North End with the Expo Originals. And now you're doing this with Barra 76. So one of the things uh, that's meaningful to us and we we like to ask, um, because one of the mantras of the club is, is what does shoulder to shoulder mean to you? Because, you know, you've kind of lived that over the last few years i actually have this draft in my twitter um that i've been meeting put out but i I wanted to ask the father's permission if i could put it out but i'm I'm sure it's okay to talk about it there's this guy called john huang who does photography and he does a ton of outreach on skid row and um he actually took me one day and uh, we walked the streets of skid row together um for a couple hours and just met people he had made relationships with people um, there that are that are at at the bottom of their lives. They're you know they're having trouble, um, and uh, so I follow him and I, and he posted a photo a while back of his his young toddler. It must have been one or two years old. His young child wearing an LAFC jersey and handing a flower, I believe, to a homeless guy on the street. And there's this big smile on this guy, um, and just I think that's a really good um, metaphor for for shoulder to shoulder. It's like this community that all sorts of people, all sorts of backgrounds, um, but from the same city, from the same place, um, that we all have the same dream, um, and we're building that dream together. We're building that community. Um, And, and, you know, any Angelino, um, doesn't matter who you are, you can join us. You can be be part of us. It's it's one big family. so that that to me is shoulder to shoulder. It's family. It's it's the guy to the left of you, the guy to the right of you. It doesn't matter if you even know who they are. Um, you guys are, are are one and the same. You're you're Angelinos, and uh, we got to keep that in mind. Beautiful, beautiful answer. So for anyone looking to follow Expo Originals, you can certainly find them by searching Expo Originals. You can find links to all of the supporters group from the LAFC page or app. If you want to follow Fern himself, it is at the Mighty Fern. Uh, is the best place to get a hold of him on Twitter. If you'd like to follow us here at the show, we are at LAFCS2S on all social media platforms. You can always reach out to us via email or through our website, www.lafcs2s.com. 
can reach myself, Jonathan, or Christian with our first name at lafcs2s.com. If you have questions for the show, if you would like to reach out as a prospective guest, or maybe you would like to come on and tell your story about the LAFC community, uh, we would love to have you on the show. But first and foremost, we would like to thank Fern for coming on and telling the story of Expo Originals, telling the story of his journey through to the 3252 and the formation of Barra 76, and driving all the way out from Hawthorne, bro. Thank you so much for coming <laughs> up to Shoulder to Shoulder Studios. That's a heck of a drive, bro. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate Thank you for having me. Yeah. I enjoyed this. Uh, so that was the story of Expo Originals and the Mighty Fern. So with that, take us home, Sticks. Shoulder to shoulder. Together this our culture. Feel the force of a supernova. Stay flying that FC dorsum. Hey, shopping down to Nikki's Koreatown Liddy. Cape us old mommy about to drop her fifth. They want me to stop, but I ain't. Come to my house, I'll defend that bitch.